am married to this wonderful woman here called Rachel, and we have three children, um, and it's frightening to say our youngest child is turning 20 next month. So to call them children, they're not really children now, they're young adults. But I do have a little picture of them, if this is going to work. Yes, there they are. All right. One of them is here tonight, so I won't embarrass him. But you can see they look wonderful. They're full of smiles, um, arms around each other, sharing ice creams. They look like angels, don't they? I mean, they look like the best of friends. I mean, they look happy. You would think butter wouldn't melt in their mouth. But I have to say, there were times, often on a Sunday morning when we were trying to get to church, or on a Tuesday tea time when I'd come in from work and it was been raining and I'd been cycling home, that actually they did not seem like the best of friends. We would hear, or I would hear that, Dad, he hit me. And that, she took my Lego. And he's annoying me. Mum, mum, he's annoying me. She pinched me. And, well, it was not a pretty sight. They were squabbling, they were fighting, and they certainly did not seem like the best of friends. Actually, they seemed like arch enemies, the worst enemies in the world. But, and with that, that's my little introduction, because we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew over the last few Sunday evenings, and how we've encountered, encountered Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been given, love your enemies, and... Um, I have to say, families should be a place of friendship and safety. And I have to say, our older children now do get on well. They're not enemies, but we can all fall out from time to time. So if we turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, I will read to you a little portion from the Sermon of the Mount. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So this little passage is titled, Love Your Enemies. And actually, it's very easy to read, but it is a lot harder to put into practice. So let's start by thinking, what is an enemy? Now, he, he looks quite frightening, to be honest, and quite aggressive. They're not always aggressive, but the dictionary does say... An enemy is a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something or a thing that harms or weakens someone else. So an enemy could oppose you for your faith. I mean, Christians at the moment throughout the world are being persecuted and more and more than ever before in history. So we could be persecuted for our faith. But also lots of us meet enemies day to day. It could be a school bully. It could be a work colleague. It could be someone in your student flat. It could be a teacher that seems to have it in for you. It might even be your boss. Jeff's my boss, but he's not got it in for me. It may be a friend or a spouse or a partner that has let you down or betrayed you. If we're all honest, I'm sure we can all think of someone who's opposed you, whether in the past or in the present. 
And you can all probably think of that person like an enemy. Now, I don't want you to dwell on it tonight in a bitter way, but I want you to keep that person in your mind as we go through and look at this scripture and see how we can love our enemies. So, Rachel. I'm introducing it, but I'm not ready to introduce you. I'm sorry, I've missed a big bit out. We're not used to doing this together. So, if we want to, we want to keep it practical tonight. So think of that person. And the interesting thing is, it doesn't tell us that we need to like our enemies. It doesn't tell us that we need to like what they do. And we don't even need to agree with what they do. But Jesus does make it clear the sun and the rain will fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we are told to love them. And we are called to be different, not just to love those who love us, but to love all even those who are opposed against us. So, let's have a look at this love. Okay, I thought it'd be good. Uh, We're told to love our enemies. So what does it actually mean to love? So what is uh, a definition of love? Oh, hang on. I'm not used to these things. Let's... uh... What is love? Well, there's three types of love in the Bible. Well, there's more than three, but these are three of the main ones. So we've got uh, love, um, eros love, which refers to romantic or physical love. And we have philos. I don't know if is that's the way you say it, Jeff? Philos? Don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a Greek scholar. Um, and it means warm, brotherly affection or friendship. And then the last uh, type of love, which is God's love towards us, is pure and it's willful and it's sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. And this is the love that is talked about in this passage. It's quite easy, isn't it, if you're in a romantic relationship, to love that person because you are attracted to one another. That's an easy love. Also, the philos love, with, uh, when you hang out with your mates or you've got a, a really nice family round for lunch and, and everything's, everything's fine. And, and that's, it's easy to love people that you're getting along with all the time. But agape love is something quite other than that. It's not a love based on how you feel. And it's a not love based on what people are giving back to you. It's an unconditional, sacrificial love. And it's the love that God has for us. And that is why we need to show this kind of love to other people. It's a sacrificial love and it's hard. So when we are told to love our enemies, this is really hard. So, uh, so we're going to look at this a little bit more. So the love in the Bible... Um, Let's just go through to the next. Can you put the next slide on for me, Hamish? Um, Okay. You'll have heard this at a a thousand weddings, you know. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 to 7. This tells us what the love is that God expects of us. And this tells us the love that God has for us. So this is the kind of love that we need to love our enemies with. It says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It isn't proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking and it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres. This is the kind of agape love that God has for us. 
for you and for me. And when God tells us to love our enemies, it is difficult. It is not natural. It is not a natural thing to want to love our enemies. We want to pay them back um, sometimes. So, agape love is no pushover. This love isn't about a feeling. This is about a decision. It's a strong decision to say, I'm going to do the right thing when everything inside of me wants to pay back or to get even. So, this is what we are told not to live like this. But we're not told that we have to like our enemies. Um, and we're not, to- we're not told to like what they do. You know, um, there's lots of things that people do that are very wrong and very hurtful to us and to one another. So we're not, that's not what God's telling us to do. But he said we have to love them. It is an action. It is a demonstration of love to another person that says, I'm going to do the right thing even when you're doing the wrong thing to me. And this is a really difficult thing. So we're going to look a little bit more about this. So why on earth would Jesus tell us to love our enemies? It just doesn't seem natural, does it? Why would he? Well, because love in itself has a redemptive quality. Love redeems people. Hate destroys people. The text tells us that even pagans and tax collectors can love their friends because it doesn't require any sacrifice or strength of character to do so. And as followers of Christ, we are expected to follow in the way of Christ, to be an example of God's redemptive love, because that's what God has done for us. He's demonstrated that to us. Jesus is basically saying, this is the kind of love that sets us apart from unbelievers. This is different. He said, you're different. Even the pagans can love their friends, but you are required to love. Go further even love your enemies. This is what sets a believer apart. John 13, 34, um, 35 says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's a tremendous witness to the world when we love one another. It says that people will recognize that we are disciples of Christ if we love one another. This is important stuff and it's difficult stuff, but it's what Jesus has told us to do. So, um, Martin Luther King knew a thing or two about loving his enemies. He was obviously uh, involved in the civil rights uh, movement. And he said, you know, he he was not a perfect man but he's, he said some really great things about loving our enemies um, in some sermons um, in a book called Strength of Love. And so there's some real gold in, in some of his writing. So I'm just going to show you a couple, um, a couple of quotes that um, he, he said. So why does good God ask us to love our enemies? Well, hate for hate intensifies hate, but hate and evil. But the strong person cuts off the chain of hate. Isn't that great? Hate is the opposite of love. So the strong person cuts off the chain of hate. But hate, when hate is sent out, it it comes back. So loving our enemies shows God's creative, redemptive goodwill to all men. And he said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Now, I don't think for one minute that every enemy will become our friend. 
But what love does, it's got a redemptive quality. It, it holds out your hand and it says, there's an opportunity here. And redemption may come in time, in years, in a lifetime, but it offers a redemptive hand. And that's why love is so powerful. So we're going to show you a little argument we're going to have now with some Jenga bricks. Obviously, we're youth, uh, we uh, work with youth, so um, we have Jenga bricks. This is how hate destroys, <laughs> rather than builds <laughs> Right, up. we're going to, can we move that over so they can see? Yeah, all right. Now, we only live down the road, and um, I love cats. Rachel likes dogs, and uh, many years ago, with a bit of pressure from the children and from my wife, we got a dog. <laughs> um, so this is the backdrop of, of our argument, okay? So I've been out busy running errands, going to bookers, getting caught in the traffic, um, buying tuck shop suites and traipsing up and down stairs in the pouring rain. And um, I come home and um, I am met by a dog whimpering at the door, desperate to go out because he's not been out since his morning walk, which I took him. Okay, so. <coughs> you can see where this I is going, in, I you? come in not in a good mood. And I, we live in a rather strange house. We, we sort of live a book. We go up lots of stairs, so I have to go up three flights of stairs before I find Rachel, who sat watching TV with a cup of tea. Okay. Living the dream. So, yes. Yeah. So, and I will come in, and, I, and this is how it starts. Oh, hi, Rachel. I see the dog's not been out. I thought you were going to take the dog out for a walk. Well, I was going to, but I, I didn't get a chance. I've been really busy. What do you mean you've been busy? Excuses. How come the dog's not gone out? You said you were going to take him out at lunchtime. I've actually been really busy picking your socks off the floor, grumpy. Socks? I don't leave my socks on the floor. How well, do you, you say that? You want to see the state of the bedroom. Well, Arthur, that's your mess. And anyway, never mind criticising me about that. Um, you're, always, you're always grumpy. Whenever you walk in the door, you're saying something horrible. And I've been working hard all day, and I've got your dinner. And I actually have been really busy. I've been cooking your dinner. Well, that's lovely you've been cooking my dinner. But you did say you were taking the dog out. And I think you're making excuses because it's raining. Well, I think I've had enough of this. And actually, I think I might just go and have my cup of tea in the other room because I don't like talking to you when you're in this mood. Fine, do that and I'll take the dog out. But I never even wanted a dog. Oh, you always pull that card. You shouldn't have had a dog if you didn't want a dog. You had a choice. And that, we'll leave it there in case, in <laughs> Could ca get in case it does <laughs> escalate further. <laughs> you can see we've had lots of practice at this. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you can see, we're not enemies, but we were in opposition with one another. And actually, it's very easy to start building a wall by how we respond with one another. Mm. We're very quickly, say, always making excuses. Our voices will rise. So, we do build a wall of resentment between each other very quickly. We should be doing marriage course, actually. <laughs> anyway, no, sorry. <laughs> Carry on, Ray. Okay. So, how do we do it better? How do we? We're going to try and show you the redemptive hand of offer of peace, the redemptive power of love over just getting each other back. Yeah, he, he annoyed me, so I'll annoy him back. That kind of thing that builds a wall. So we're going to try and take the wall down now. So like a good wife, I'd say, oh, hey, uh, do you want a cup of tea? So I'll, I'll make you a cup of no, tea. No, I don't drink tea. 
Herbal tea. Would you like a herbal tea? Yes, I would like a herbal tea. I've had a terrible day. The traffic was horrendous. Oh, yeah, well, I've had a really busy day as well. I think we're both in a bit of a, a bad mood. I'm, I'm really sorry I was a bit grumpy with you. I didn't mean to be. Does that mean you're going to take the dog out? <laughs> That's not does the rehearsed bit. Does, does, that mean you, does that mean you're going to hang the washing out? <laughs> no. <laughs> See how quickly you can change. <laughs> I, th I think we'll leave it there. Be 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 because I know we've got pizzas ordered for later on. So, loving your enemy. As Rachel said, love is redemptive love restores and actually that's one of the reasons why we need to be loving our enemies because actually it builds pathways it tears down walls and it actually allows God's love to work into people's lives and but that's the why how can we do that now I have to say we all struggle with it um, it's not an easy thing like I said we can read things in the Bible but actually putting them into practice is very hard but the Bible is also great because it does give us some practical guidance. It does show us how we can love our enemies. Now, there's lots of different ways, but we've just picked up three steps we thought we'd share with you tonight. So, very simple steps. One is prayer. Prayer is just simply talking to God. But it says, well, it said in today's reading, it says, pray for those who persecute you. And it also says in Luke 6, 28, we are to bless those who curse us and pray for those who mistreat us. Now, I often, when I was younger, thought, why would I want to do that? I don't want to pray for them. I don't like them. They did that to me. But actually, when you realize, as Rachel said, we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We're, we need to follow his way and we need to learn to think we need to love our enemies. So, Jesus says to pray for them. Why, how do we pray? Well, firstly, one of the things about prayer is actually... God is very big and he's very capable of taking your anger and your frustration. So just going to God and saying, God, I'm having such a tough time with this person. I don't know why this person's done this to me. I don't know why this person said this. And you can vent to God. You can let your frustration go to God. The Psalms are full of angry Psalms. Not all of them are, but Lord, why has this happened to me? Why has this person done, done this? David had lots of tough times, but he was very honest to God. He went to God and he took his frustration out. God is big enough to take out, take your frustration. The thing is, by giving that frustration to God, you're less likely to vent to that person. You're less likely to go and offload and either gossip and tell someone else or go to that person and say, why have you done this? So prayer is really important. It, when you pray, it, when you pray to God, and you're praying about others, you're going to allow God to work in your heart and in the situation. But, to, but secondly, apart from God is big enough to listen to your frustrations, as you pray, during your time, it will allow God to work in your own heart and to change your heart on how you might see the situation. It's not saying that it will make the situation always better, but actually, God can change your heart as well. Jeff was speaking a few weeks ago about... Praying is often quite hard. But, and one of the simplest things he does is actually he goes to the Lord's Prayer and he reads the Lord's Prayer and he recites it, but then he thinks about it and he prays through it. Now, 
this is something, and I have to say, I'm very grateful we have a dog now. When I take the dog out for a walk in the mornings, this is one of the things I've been doing. I pray as I walk, and actually, I pray the Lord's Prayer, and I go through it. And there's one line in the Lord's Prayer which says, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. And when I meditate on that, when I start thinking about that, and I start asking God to forgive me for my sins, I realize how messed up I am at times. I realize my thought life's not particularly good. I realize my actions and my deeds aren't very good. And even though I've never killed anyone, I realize I'm not a saint. I realize I've done lots of things wrong and it humbles me. But then it turns my thoughts to actually what Jesus has done for me. Jesus died for me and he saved me and he's, he's accepted me into his family and he's willing to forgive me for what I've done. And actually I pray for forgiveness for me. But when I accept that grace and that mercy God has done to me, it makes me realize I need to forgive others. And as I think about the people who I might need to forgive, often it's Rachel. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. But um, um, I realize actually I need to allow God's love to flow through me to accept Rachel, to give her mercy and to give her grace. And it's not easy, but as you focus in and you focus on what God's done for you, it allows you to focus, it allows you to transfer that love across to others. It doesn't always take away the hurt, it doesn't take away the wrong, but it does allow you to have a changed heart. So prayer is so important. Another step, I would say, which will help us when it comes to loving your enemies, is to initiate peace. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, if it's possible, so realize, if it might not be possible, sometimes the circumstances it's not going to work. But if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, so it's, it's your, your responsibility, live at peace with everyone. Now, I have to say, it sounds easy to say, but there's ways you can make it. You've got to choose this. We've been reading through Exodus, and in Exodus um, chapter 23, verse 3 and 4, now, most of us don't have oxes and donkeys now, but... For those who've got cars, for those who have other things, just use this. But if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. That is a real practical thing. How do we build bridges? How do we love our enemies? We can do practical things. If you see someone you don't like and they've got a flat battery, don't just say, ah, they've got a flat battery. I quickly cross over, you should be the one who steps up and says, actually, I've got some jump leads here. Do you want me to give you a jump start? There's practical ways we can help build peace into people's lives. Something I do, and um, I enjoy driving. I like driving to lots of different places. I like to travel in general. And in case you don't know me, I'm often late as well. So that often means I have to drive a little bit quicker than I should do. Um, I won't, no, so I won't say about your speeding ticket, Rachel, but uh, I, I won't, won't embarrass you. Uh, and actually, last night I was out street pastoring, and there's a, a lovely lady. Um, she's 81, and she comes out and she prays for the street pastors, and she prays until four o'clock in the morning. And she was telling us last night that the last time she was out, she was driving home, and she got done for speeding at 20 to 5 in the morning. And I really felt for her. And, and she's 81. She's a lovely lady. But, um, yes, anyway, so we should be praying. <laughs> I'm, go I'm going off topic here. Anyway, 
I, I, I'm always late for things, so it does mean I drive a little bit fast, or it does mean I can be a little bit impatient when I come to roundabouts. I love driving around roundabouts. I wouldn't say I cut people up on roundabouts. I just use the spaces creatively, okay? And because of that, I do occasionally get people who make strange hand gestures at me, <laughs> or, or beep. Now, <laughs> I realise, I realise now that I'm in the wrong, and actually I'm upsetting people. And I shouldn't upset people. So I do try, when I have done that, I do try to put my hand up and say, sorry, and I try to look abashed, if that's the right word. Uh, and I try to apologise, rather than sort of shake my fist at them and beep them back. It's just a simple way. And it's also made me realise, when I'm not in a hurry, and someone cuts me up, or something else happens, and you say, that's poor driving, why didn't we indicate? And rather than shaking my head or flashing my lights, I just let it go. So there's lots of ways we can practically initiate peace. So that will help us love our enemies. And finally, um, forgive. Now, I touched a little bit on this one with prayer, but it also says in Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Well, as I said, I've linked to this before when I was praying the Lord's Prayer. But sometimes forgiveness is a process. Sometimes people have hurt you. It's not just an odd angry word or someone cutting you up. It's something a little bit more serious. So I understand forgiveness is really difficult and it is a process. It will take time. But it is something you need to realise. It's not going to minimise the hurt. It's not going to take the feeling away. But actually you need to give it over to God. And it's not about letting them off the hook. It's about letting yourself off the hook as you give it over to God. And as you give it over to God, it might take time and you do need to work through it. But rather than focusing on the person, focus on God. We often tell our young people about Corrie ten Boom. She was um, a lady who, a Jewish lady who went into a, a concentration camp during the Second World War with her sister. And while she was in the concentration camp, a guard cruelly mistreated mistreated them and actually ended up killing her sister. And it, it was a horrendous story when you hear her tell it years later. And she realised she needed to forgive this guard. And um, it was a really difficult thing for her to do. Years later, she actually met this guard and realised actually she was still struggling to forgive. And she really wasn't sure whether she could forgive this person. But she quotes this. And it, well, this is her quote. She says, forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And that's just, once again, it's a choice. When, it, when we get asked to love our enemies, it's a choice. We, we might not feel it, but we have to think it sometimes. We have to allow our minds to lead it. We have to make that choice. Now, it says at the end of Matthew, where we were reading, about being perfect. None of us are perfect. God is perfect. And actually, we can't make that, that step into being perfection. But we do need to ask God to help us. And we do need to look at Jesus, who was perfect. So, should we look at Jesus? Yeah. There's no greater example, really, about loving our enemies than looking at Jesus. And as we're followers of Christ, if we are a Christian today, this is what we need to be really looking at. And, and Jesus' example for loving his enemies. Um, I want to put a verse up on the screen. And this verse is one of the most beautiful verses, I think, 
in the Bible. Um, let's just read it. It's from Romans 5, verse 6 to 8. It said, you see, just at just the right time, when we, that's all of us, were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Beautiful verse, which tells us what Jesus did for us. I've just lost my notes here, so I'll just find them. Okay. Jesus literally gave his life for his enemies. We were God's enemies. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but we were. We were far off. We were far off. There's, um, hang on one minute. I've just got a little, here we go. The Bible tells us that we were far away and he brought us near. And, and some of you may find, where's the verse? Here it is, yeah. Je Ephesians 2 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the redemptive nature of love. And some of us might be sitting here thinking, I haven't really got many enemies or there's not really a person in my mind. But some of you might have a person in your mind that you think they really hurt me. It might have been in the past. It might have been a, an issue in the past. It might be something even now that you're going through and we won't even know about it. But God knows. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, you don't really know how hard this is and you don't really know what they've done. But God does know. And we need to look at what Jesus actually did on the cross. It's amazing what he did on the cross. Jesus understand, understands everything that you go through, absolutely everything. So Jesus, we often think of him as a, a, a good man. <laughs> you know, uh, he did miracles. But when we really look at the life of Jesus, we see that he had lots of close friends that betrayed him. They had people regularly trying to trick him, get him into trouble with the religious authorities. They wrongly accused Jesus. They misunderstood him. They hated him. They beat him. They abandoned him. And eventually, they killed him. Jesus had a tremendous amount of enemies. But we see that he laid down his life because he loved them. Jesus, when, when we look at him on the cross, we see that. He was honest. He prayed to God, didn't he, on the cross. He said, he said, why have you abandoned me? He was honest about how he felt. This isn't a feeling thing. God laid down his life for us because he loved us. It's not a feeling love. But he was really honest about how awful it was. And he said to God, why have you abandoned me? Why am I in this spot? Even though he had laid down his life. It wasn't pleasant for him. It wasn't, it wasn't a good feeling. And then we see that, that it, it, he's, he's, obviously he's got two, two criminals next, next door to him on the cross. And we see that even as Jesus is dying and he's in physical and mental torture, he still makes a way for the sinner, for one of the criminals on the cross to be with him 
in paradise, he said, and he put his trust in Jesus. Jesus was still reaching out to people even as he died. And then we see one of the most loving things, and talking about loving our enemies, he, he even then said to, to his father in heaven as he was dying, he said, Father, would you forgive them because they don't know what they're doing? They don't know what they're doing. Would you forgive them? And this is the example of Christ that he laid down. We were enemies of God and he laid down his life for us when we were enemies and he brought us near to him. The redemptive power of love is shown perfectly in Christ. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were far off, he died for us. And as we are followers of Christ, we need to follow the way of Christ. And that can be hard. The cross wasn't an easy path. The Bible tells us to take up our cross and follow him. It's wonderful to be friends with, with God. There is no better way, but it's not an always an easy way. It can be difficult. So we're going to conclude in a moment just looking at what Jesus did for us. But there's, um, there's a verse that says, we love because he first loved us. It's in 1 John 4, 19. This type of love isn't natural. It's not something that we can drum up. This is the kind of love that God pours into us because he loved us first. We can love. So we need his love before we can truly love. We need his love poured into our hearts before we can truly love our enemies. But we must love our enemies because it's the very heart of the gospel. It's the very heart of the gospel, this redemptive love of God that extends a hand. It's an invitation. We may not take the invitation our enemies may not be restored, but what happens is, is a hand of love. It's saying there's a possibility for redemption. And this is the very, very heart of the gospel. So we as followers of Christ need to have that in our hearts, willing to extend um, this redemptive love of Christ. So we would love to, to open up, really, for prayer. Firstly, for, for two lots of people, really, maybe you don't know Christ for yourself yet, and you've realized tonight that, that God has demonstrated this love for you, and you want to give your life to Christ. You want to know this love poured into your heart, and you would like to get to know Jesus personally for yourself. So it'd be really great if we just closed our eyes for a moment. And if there's anybody here that hasn't ever made a decision to follow Christ, that hasn't ever experienced the love of God being poured into their hearts, you can pray a simple prayer along with me now. It's, it's basically, sorry, thank you, please. Sorry that my sin has separated me from you. Sorry that I've been an enemy of you. But I thank you that you love me. I thank you, Jesus, that you died for me to bring me back to a relationship with you and to give me a new start. And please come into my life from this day forward and help me to live for you. Fill me with your love and help me to live for you. 
And if you've prayed that very simple prayer, I would urge you to speak to somebody because this is a start of a journey of getting to know Jesus and how much he loves you and living the life of following Jesus.